Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our In the World, Not of It series, which walks through the book of 1 Corinthians, showing how we are citizens of a better country. We hope this sermon will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Being a younger sibling, I was talking with, uh, with some this morning, and I've said it plenty of times. Um, I'm, a, I'm the, the youngest, uh, of course, my brother, who is younger than me, passed away a number of years ago. Uh, so I grew up as the youngest, but there's just something about being uh, a younger, younger sibling. You're, you're more energetic. Your older siblings would say you're more annoying, but that's not the truth. Uh, you just enjoy life a little more than they do. And um, there's also something about younger siblings that more often than not, younger siblings don't get in as much trouble as the older siblings. How many of you parents have noticed that with your kids? Uh, we, didn't really, we didn't really notice this until we started having kids, but then not until our youngest, Micah, was about four or five years old. Because we, Hannah and I were talking one day and she said something. She said, babe, have you noticed that Micah, he doesn't get in trouble as much as the other two? And I'm thinking I'm failing as a dad. I need, he needs to get in more trouble. How can I find things to get him in trouble? And she said, not that he needs to get in more trouble, but have you ever paid attention to how Micah pays attention to the older siblings when they're getting in trouble? And so we began to, over the course of now years, we've began to, we, we watched Micah, especially when he was younger. Now he gets in plenty of trouble all by himself. But especially when he was younger, man, we would watch, we would watch Micah when Dennis would do something crazy and get in trouble for it. Uh, it was almost like Micah was kind of off in the corner, just kind of watching. And you could almost see the wheels turning. You could see the hamster running and Micah going, I'm never going to do that. I'm just, I'm just not going to make that stupid decision. And he'd see Lena get in trouble for something, and he'd, you'd, see, you'd see the wheels turning. You'd just watch him. And he'd just kind of mosey off and, you know, go clean his room or go, go fix something. He'd kind of get, get things right in his own mind because his whole, his whole goal was, I'm going to be the younger sibling that learns from the older siblings. And what he learned, oftentimes he learned what not to do. What, what shouldn't I do? If, uh, if Dennis would disobey in a certain area, Micah would watch and oftentimes not disobey in that area. If Lena would, uh, you know, kind of make a smart comment, Lena, Lena got my sarcasm. Uh, she'd make a little sar- sarcastic comment. Micah would learn, I'm not going to make that. There's just something about a a younger sibling learning from an older sibling. This morning, as we come back into our series, we're going to find ourselves again in 1 Corinthians and in chapter number 10. And I believe that one of the things that we're going to see kind of come across through Paul's writing to us today is the encouragement or the challenge to be just like a younger sibling. Well, what, what's that mean, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. Take your Bible and stand with me if you would. And let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. 
And I want us to see Paul giving the believers at Corinth a challenge and giving us the challenge as well to be a younger sibling in the sense that I'm going to learn from those who have gone before me. I'm going to learn from Christians and really specifically, I'm going to learn from the people of Israel some things that God asks of me and some things that God is encouraging me and challenging me with. I'm going to learn from their testimony and their story. I'm going to be a younger sibling to the people of Israel, allowing their story to influence my decisions. Look with me, 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, beginning in verse number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number one, the word of God says this, says, moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Now were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased for they, because they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things were our examples to the that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted, neither be ye idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play and neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and 20,000. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now, all these things, they happened unto them for in samples or as an example. And they, these things, are written for our admonition, for our learning whom the ends of the world upon whom the ends of the world are come wherefore hey because of this let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall there hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man but god is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able but he will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge ye what I say. Go back to verse number 11 very quickly and notice what he says again in verse 11 and 12. Now all these things happened unto them for our ensamples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There's a great challenge here this morning in becoming that younger sibling, allowing the lives of those who have gone before to influence the decisions that we make. And I pray this morning that you and I would come into this preaching time to say, God, Use the message, use the testimony of Israel, the writing of Paul, to help me this week. I think sometimes we look at scripture and we look at preaching and we think, all right, what life change could take place? You know, I mean, what can God speak to me about that's going to change my destiny? 
I think we have to realize, kind of draw that back, just bring it all the way back down to the minute and realize that sometimes God just wants to speak to us about the upcoming week. So God, help me be a younger sibling this week. Speak to me today about Monday through Saturday. And God, help me to learn from their example that I might make some better decisions. And I believe this challenge and this message will help us. Let's pray and get right into the preaching today. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you take just a second and ask God to speak to you this morning, commit the service to him, and just give him permission. God, I give you permission to speak into my heart today. Dear Lord, we thank you for the word of God and thank you for how you use it to speak and to help. And God, we come before you today and we again just need you. We need your presence. We need you to uh, use your word and speak into each of our lives. And God, I pray that as we go through the service that you would help us to hear from you and respond. And Lord, that we would um, be sensitive to what you speak to us about. We love you, God, and we thank you for loving us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can go ahead and be seated. <clears throat> in our series, we've been studying out, of course, the book of 1 Corinthians, this, this second letter written by Paul to the believers at Corinth. Of course, uh, we won't do a lot of review this morning, but the city of Corinth was uh, a desired destination. People wanted to go to Corinth. They wanted to be there, but uh, the city of Corinth was also a wicked destination. Uh, it was a place of debauchery, and we've already learned uh, much of the influence and negative influence in Corinth would be because of the, the false gods that they worshipped, and of course, um, the, the, uh, the, the largest being um, the goddess of Aphrodites and uh, the uh, goddess of, uh, of lust would be really what we would say, and with, with her temple came over a, is that the wrong name? Aphrodite. Yeah, thank you, Epaphrodite. He's at the end. He's a Christian. He didn't have a temple there. Uh, anyway, the, uh, the, what came along with the, the, the worship of this false goddess was uh, over a thousand prostitutes that would serve in that temple. And, and because of that, sin just really trickled down into the city and, and affected the lives of so many people. And so what we've learned is that Paul, God used him, Acts 18, to start a great work for God there. He led many people to Christ there. And, and God used Paul in an incredible way. And we saw it last week, Acts 18, verse number eight, I, I believe, where it says that many believed on the Lord because of the ministry of Paul. And so Paul was there, stayed there a year and a half, but after a year and a half, he left. After a few years of being gone from Corinth, he receives word uh, from a delegation that was sent to him that things are not going well. The church is, is not necessarily growing in the Lord anymore, and that they're kind of stagnant because much of the influence of the sinful influence of the city has really been influencing the believers that were there at Corinth. And, and the saying we've kind of used is that the, uh, the believers at Corinth, they reflected the, ch the, the culture around them more than they reflected the Christ that was within them. And they were becoming more like that sinful culture and allowing that to really influence them. And so Paul, he receives word about this. And Paul, he's, he's burdened for these people. I mean, this was a church that he started, people that he reached, many of them that he led to the Lord. He's burdened for them. So he writes back to them. He writes the first letter back to them, which we don't have a copy of that. We have the second letter which is the book of 1 Corinthians. 
And in this book, Paul wrote the first six chapters. We learned this a few weeks ago. The first six chapters, which we've already covered, he wrote to really try to help them come in line with God's plan for their church. Remember, if you were here, he wrote about all of the divisiveness that was taking place, all the factionalism, all the infighting within the church. Paul wrote about uh, the decisions that they were making and how they were kind of just excusing and passing over sin. And he's saying, hey, these things, there's certain things that are among you that should not be among you. And, and Paul wrote to them those first six chapters, really encouraging them, challenging them, hey, here's where you should be with the Lord. Keep growing in God. God has a plan for you. Get the sin out of your life and understand that when you get saved, God has more for you than just an eternity in heaven. And what a great truth for every one of us to always remember. Listen, every single person, we should remember this consistently in our Christian life, that God doesn't just save us so that we could spend eternity in heaven. Yes, heaven is a benefit of salvation and a relationship with God. Yes, God wants us to be with him and spend eternity in heaven, but God saved us so that you and I could experience really heaven on earth. So we could experience a daily relationship with him where we are growing and, and learning more about him and loving others and showing him to people. Really, salvation is just the beginning of a life lived with Christ. And that should be in our mind all of the time. And so that's really the first six chapters. Well, from chapter seven all the way to the end of the book, Paul is just gonna be answering questions. Right? Questions we all have. We've talked through that. Questions about marriage, questions about widowhood, questions about singleness, questions about uh, the gray areas of life, questions about uh, is this the end times? Like, is God coming back tomorrow? Because look at all the craziness. Man, uh, I've been asked that question more in the last 18 months than I think the previous nine and a half years of pastoring that led up to the 18 months. Uh, you know what? We all have those questions. They did too. And so they were asking those questions. And one of the questions that Paul has been answering recently is what we call the gray areas of life, the gray areas of the Christian life. Um, areas, for them, it was the area of meat offered to idols, right? There was, remember those of you that are here, we have to remember this, the pastor, you reviewed this last week. If I don't, we don't get on the same page because he's still on the same topic. So remember this guy, he said, hey, I can eat anything. Any meat that I buy in the, in, the, in the shambles, any meat that I buy in the marketplace, who cares if it was offered to an idol? Who cares uh, the association it has? I can eat meat. I know that meat offered to idols is nothing. But this fellow, remember, he grew up. Those of you that were here three weeks ago, this fellow grew up in the culture. He grew up with uh, worshiping all of these false gods. And to him, it was a very hard thing to process that that meat was nothing. And so this guy says, no, we can't eat meat offered to idols. We are almost partaking in the worship of false idols if we eat this meat. And so Paul wrote to them and said, hey, there is a, uh, uh, there's an overarching rule that, that covers uh, all long range. It is, it is a timeless principle or a set of guidelines that transcends context and culture to help you make decisions when it comes to gray areas. Well, what is that principle, Paul? Chapter eight, love, right? Remember, Paul said, hey, this believer right here, he should be able to say, I love that brother over there 
Because I love him, I won't eat the meat when I'm around him because I know it offends him. But this brother also goes, because I love that guy over there, I'm going to ask God to help me not be offended when he's doing something that might go against my conscience. Meat in scripture, and this is what Paul talks about in Romans 14, God doesn't say, eat the meat, don't eat the meat. It's a, it's a gray area. And so chapter nine, the overruling principle is love. Hey, don't make decisions based upon your knowledge. Make decisions based upon your knowledge and your love for other people. Chapter nine, last week, Paul's still writing on the same topic. He says there's another principle that should help us. And that is the principle of of deference, deferring, not demanding my way. Well, why would I defer? And Paul hit some great topics last week. We would defer because the cause of Christ is greater than my individual rights. The cause of Christ is greater than me demanding my way. And so Paul wrote 1 Corinthians chapter number nine. He said, hey, listen, Remember what he said last week? He said, I have a right to demand that you would support my ministry, but I don't do that. Now, would it be biblical for him to do that? Yeah, it would have been. But he said, I'm not gonna demand it. No, 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 no. I understand that the cause of Jesus Christ is more important than me trying to get my way. And so Paul basically wrote this thought. Every day I'm gonna live with love towards others and I'm gonna live with the law of deference that says I defer. What am I deferring to? I'm gonna do everything I can each and every day just to make Jesus look good. Not to make me look good. I'm gonna, not to make me look wise. Not to make me look like I'm owed things. No, 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 I'm just gonna try to make him look good. Now, when we come to 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, <clears throat> honestly, if you were just doing a casual reading of it, you would read 1 Corinthians chapter 10 like me and you'd go, how does this fit in? <laughs> How does this all fit in this thought? Because he's, not, he's still on the same topic. But this morning, I believe we're gonna see it. And so here's what I want you to do. This is gonna be kind of challenging, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the idea of the gray areas of life. I want you kind of just to set it to the side. Okay, we know Paul's talking about the gray areas of life. Don't try to connect the dots yet. Let's just take that topic and let's set it to the side. And let's come into this message with the mindset of Paul saying, you need to learn from other people. Just, just you need to learn from other people. Well, why do we need to learn from other people? Notice with me, if you will, in our passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 12, Paul said this, wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. Okay. Remember that gray area, everybody, the gray area is sitting over here, Right? Gray areas of life just kind of sitting over here. Let's plug back into him just for a second to say this. Paul knew that as he was writing, there were gonna be some believers at Corinth that had this mindset. Paul, Paul, don't you know who you're writing to? Paul, we've got this. Paul, we can handle this. Paul, things aren't as bad as the delegation sent to you. Paul, Paul, we, we already know about the meat. Paul, we are, Paul, we have it. 
That's where this challenge comes in. When you think you can stand, you better be careful. Why? Because that's when you fall. And so Paul writes to them this idea. In your life, you have to make choices, not out of arrogance, but choices out of wisdom. Choices that you and I have to make is that, that aren't, uh, well, I've got this mentality. Because we can all live with that, can't we? We can live with the mindset of, I've got this, I've got this, I can handle this, I can handle this. And here's Paul writing to those believers in Corinth saying, hey, you don't got this. You can't handle this. So be the younger sibling and learn some lessons. All right, what are the lessons we can learn? Take your Bibles if you would and notice just a few lessons that we can learn. I noticed first off today that we can learn a lesson in God's faithfulness. We can learn a lesson in God's faithfulness. Notice, if you will, verse number 11 or verse number 13. Skip, if you will, down to verse number 13. Verse 13, Paul says this, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. I wanna tie in the first four verses to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 13. In those first four verses, if you paid attention when we read them just a moment ago, Paul highlights Israel and Moses and their years exiting Egypt. You remember that verse number one, moreover, brethren, I would not have to be ignorant uh, how that all of our fathers, so our forefathers were under the cloud. They were led by that pillar of cloud and they were baptized and they were joined with Moses. What's he talking about in the first four verses? Paul's talking about the people of Israel. He's saying, hey, we already know that the people of Israel, they wandered for years. How many of you have read that story in the book of Exodus? You read about their years of wandering. Well, what happened? Well, the people of Israel were captive underneath Egypt, and God, uh, through Moses, came in and delivered them out of that captivity and then was going to bring them into the promised land, right? Uh, and yet they sent 12 spies in. 10 were bad. Two were good. Uh, Joshua and Caleb said, yes, take the land. 10 spies said, no, we can't take the land. Doubt in God. And so God said, okay, I'm going to allow you because of your, this decision not to trust me, I'm going to allow you to wander in the desert for 40 years. But here's the principle that Paul is laying down in those first four verses. Even though the people of Israel wandered for 40 years, they were still led by God. Look at verse number four. Look at it. It's not on the screen. Just look at verse number four. It says, and they did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Here's what Paul is saying about the people of Israel. Hey, listen, they were a privileged people. They, got, they were called out of Egypt. God was going to take them to the promised land. Yet they sinned, but God never quit on them. I love if you think about the people of Israel, I love how the psalmist wrote it in Psalm 78, verse number 38, when he said this, but he, God, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time turned he his anger away and did not stir up his wrath. You know what was taking place in the people of Israel during the years of wandering? What they continually did is they were involved in, we've called it this often, a cyclical relationship with God. What's that mean? 
it was this. You ready? They followed God and loved God. They got away from God and pursued false gods. After pursuing false gods for a while, God would allow correction to come in their life. That correction would bring them back to following God and loving God. Well, then what would they do? They would follow false gods. It was cyclical. They were up and down. It was a roller coaster relationship that the people of Israel had with God. Now, in between verse 4 and verse number 13, Paul is going to use their lives as an example of things not to do. Right? Hey, be the younger sibling. Look at what the older sibling did and don't do that. Because they got a lot of whoopings for what they did. You don't want that. That's what Paul's writing. But the main thrust that I want us to see this morning, just to use as a springboard into the entire message, is verse 13. Because Paul writes this. There hath no temptation taken you. What's the word temptation here? The word temptation in this passage, in this verse specifically, it means test or trial. There is no test or trial that has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. What does that mean? What, what's it mean? There's no test or trial that's, that's overtaken me, but such as is common to man. You ready? Here's what it is. Every single human being, every single person living has challenges. And they all boil down to pretty much the same things. I guarantee right, and right now, in here, right now, I could say, how many of you in your lifetime have had a financial challenge? Everybody's hand. How many of you in your life, you've had a trial in a relationship of some sort? Everybody's hand. Now, our trials and challenges, they may look differently from case to case, but at the root, they're all common to man. So what's Paul saying? Hey, you may be in a trial and in a test, the situation, but understand that all those situations, they're all common to man. But here's the overarching constant factor in every single person's trial. The next four words. What's it say? But God is, what's the word? Read it with me. But God. Hey, there's no trial that you're in that somebody else, had, that, that nobody else has ever gone through. No, 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 we've all gone through trials. We've all gone through situations, but you need to remember the constant in all of your trials is God. Hey, look back to Israel. You know what Israel had going for them? They were the people of Israel. They were the people of God. God pulled them out of Egypt. They were led of Christ. They, they were provided for, and God gave them food, and God gave them water, and yet they continually rebelled against God. But you want to know the constant in Israel's life? Just go read the Old Testament. The constant was God's faithfulness. Man, mark it down and write it in your Bible. Write it somewhere where you can remember this. But just this principle, God does not quit on his people. Does God allow consequences for decisions? Yes. Does God bring, uh, does God bring consequences for decisions at times? Yes. But what loving parent wouldn't? You show me a parent that doesn't discipline their children and I will show you a parent that doesn't love their children like they should. <gasps> well, pastor, don't you know what day and age we live in? All the more reason. Man, a, a, a loving parent is going to say no. And then when, the, when there's a disobedience there, a consistent loving parent is going to bring correction. 
Now, the correction may look different from home to home or whatever the case may be, but the the point is, I love my kids. I love Micah, and even though Micah may be the one that paid attention to the older siblings, Micah, he still needs some correction every now and then, probably more every now than then. Matter of fact, come here. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Listen, m- m- the reason I correct him, though, is, is not just because it's the fun thing to do. No, the reason I correct him is because I love him and I want to build character in him to help him as a young man. We work with our kids uh, on main characteristics. I want to help him grow up and be a man of character and be a man of integrity. I want to help him be a man of humility and a man of respect and a man with, with good work ethic. Listen, a parent is going to do that and invest that. Why? Because they love their kids. So while there may be consequences for bad decisions, the consequences are there because of love. Now, don't get lost in all the minutia of what I'm saying and under understand this principle, that God is faithful to you no matter what is going on in your life. And even though Israel had some times when God disciplined them and had some times when God said, fine, go over to those false gods and watch what happens. Even though that happened for Israel, the principle that Paul is trying to get across in this chapter, specifically in these few verses is, hey, no matter what happens in your life, God is faithful to you. And I'll be honest with you today, uh, this message, this message right here is probably a Dennis Fountain message. I I need this message right now. I'm telling you, as I'm studying this week, the the points that we're going to look at today, it was convicting me because of where my heart is right now. You know what I need to hear right now? And I'll try not to cry my way through this thought, but you know what I need to hear right now? I need to hear that God is faithful no matter what's going on. I need to hear that. And you know what God does? God brings people along to say, hey, don't forget this. I have a good friend. He's, he's my chiropractor from Tacoma. And my, his, his, his name's Kevin. And this week, I drove over to Tacoma because my hips were out. And I'll tell you the story. <laughs> you, you talk about learning from people. Okay, when I was 22 years old, I've told the story before, I went sledding with some friends. And I went sledding with some friends. A.J. Billings is his name. He's now a pastor over in Ohio, and his wife still makes fun of me to this day for what I'm about to tell you. But we went to this mountain, and I grew up in Colorado. I'm a snow, I grew up around snow. I mean, I had the best snowball fights. I love hiring people like Robert from California. He had no, no clue what to do with snow when he was around. Even though, he, even though he was a snowboarder, you know, he didn't know about snowball fights. And our first few snowball, snowball fights, Robert got blasted all the time, and I loved it. I grew up around snow, and so we got up, and we were in California. We went to these, these mountains near uh, the city called Tehachapi, a little town there, and we were going to go sledding, and we didn't have normal sleds. We had slick pads, so if you, those of you around snow, you might know what a slick pad is. Literally, it's like a little mattress that would go in a kid bed, but the bottom is waxed so that you go really, really fast. They're awesome, at least up until that day, they were awesome. Because AJ, this guy, he got up halfway up this hill, and uh, honestly, he is probably about 200, maybe, maybe 200 feet, almost, almost 100 yards up this hill, 250 feet up this hill, and he's all the way up there, and he's like, I'm in a, I'm a good spot, I'm going to go. So he jumped on this slick pad, he slid down, and man, right at the bottom, we had, there was a couple little jumps that you could go under, so he hit one jump, and then his body went like a rag doll. 
And he hit that first jump. The second jump hit, and I, I can close my eyes, and I can still see him from the top of the hill. I'm looking down, and I'm laughing because he goes, boom, hits, hits the ground, dislocates his shoulder, and his arm is just like flailing, and this arm's flailing, and his feet are flailing. And then finally, like, he's, he, there's no control. It's literally like a doll just bouncing around. And he's like, you know, and finally comes to a stop, and he just lets out this like, Ah, you know, starts screaming. We're like, what? And he's like, I dislocated my shoulder. And so they go over and they're like trying to pop his shoulder back in. He's screaming. You know what I'm thinking? What a newbie. I'm like, what a novice. He doesn't know anything about sledding. So you know what I did? I went further up the hill. I went 50 feet further. Now, I'm, I'm not exaggerating. I was about 100 yards up this hill. <clears throat> and I grabbed my slick pad, and I, I was just looking down there. I'm like, just get him out of the way. Let me show you how it's done. <laughs> and I ran just to get more speed, jumped on my knees on this slick pad, and I'm going. About halfway down, I thought, this is really stupid. Second thought, I'm going to die. Because I was going, I was going so fast. And I remember on my knees, I was almost to the bottom and I thought, I can't do this on my knees. Like I'm, I'm literally going to break my legs. And so I spun around and sat on my rear end. I hit the first jump and I had so much air that I was going to clear the second jump. But I didn't clear it. I peaked the jump. So my rear end slammed that jump and it popped my vertebrae out and hyperextended my back and my whole body instantly went numb. Everything. For five minutes, I couldn't move. My wife and Lori, AJ's wife, she was, Lori was like, she's right above me going, <laughs> just laughing. And Hannah's going, are you okay? Okay, that was so funny. Are you all right? And I'm going, I can't breathe. I can't move. They're like, you can't move? I'm like, no, I can't feel my hands. I can't feel my feet. I literally thought I was paralyzed. I wish I would have learned from the example of AJ. There's a good point from this story. I wish I would have learned from the example of AJ and not gone down that hill. Now, fast forward to this weekend. I just wanted to tell you the story. So that gave me back problems. So since I was 22, I've had back issues from one crazy decision. So Friday, I went over to Tacoma. I saw Kevin. And I was telling Kevin kind of what's going on in my own heart. And I said, man, honestly, I said, I'm just kind of, I'm battling some frustration. I said, I'm almost battling, I don't know if I'm battling a little bit of bitterness just because of watching my dad go through this. And I, I just kind of conveying my heart to Kevin. And he goes, man, yeah, I said, I, you know, he, he conveyed to me about his dad dying a few years ago and and then Kevin said, hey, Dennis, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah. He goes, wasn't it like 10 years ago that didn't your dad get a bad diagnosis? I said, yeah, he was given two weeks to live 10 years ago. And Kevin, as a friend could, he was kind of right above me, put his arm on me, and I looked up at him. He looked right in my eye, and he said, Dennis, there's really not a lot to be mad about. He said, you got your dad an extra 10 years. Maybe it's perspective. You know what, in that moment, this message, which I had already been studying, came to my mind 
The constant in every situation that we have is God's faithfulness. And whether God gave you 10 years or 10 minutes, God's still faithful. God doesn't quit on you. Aren't you glad God doesn't quit on you? He doesn't throw in the towel. And I love what the, 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 uh, Paul is trying to get across, saying, hey, nothing is overtaking you, but God is faithful. And what will he do? Well, he will, with temptation, with trials, God will make a way to escape that you'll be able to bear it. Do you know what, you wanna know, and I, I wish we could just spend all message on this verse, but we're not going to today. Do you wanna know the way to bear every trial is to recognize that you can't bear any trial. The old adage, God will never give us more than we can handle. <clears throat> I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. I believe God gives us more than we can handle. Why? Because then we go, God, I can't do this. God, I open myself. God, I need you. God, I just, I just need your help. So what's Paul getting across? And we're gonna fly through the rest of the message. What's Paul getting across in this point? Hey, hey, God is faithful to you. God is faithful. I love this thought, but the constant in every test and trial that we face is the faithfulness of God. James said it this way in the book of James chapter one. He said, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations or various trials. Well, why should we count it joy? Because you can know this. Hey, you can know that the trying of your faith, it is going to work patience in you, that endurance to continue on. But, but let patience, let it have her perfect work that ye may be perfect, complete, and entire, wanting nothing, lacking nothing. Hey, here's what James, the half-brother of Jesus, said. Hey, you can count on the faithfulness of God, and when trials come, count it joy. Why? Because God will use this trial to help me become more like him, and God's not going to quit on me through this trial. Can I just say, I believe that one of the points that Paul was trying to get across to the people of, of, uh, of Corinth was to understand this thought that you can't stand on your own. So instead, learn from the examples of others and stand in God's faithfulness, not your own strength. Hey, wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you can be able to bear it. Hey, flee idolatry. And then that last part, he says, I speak as to wise men. Judge ye what I say. You know what he's saying there? Hey, listen up. Hey, discern the truth. Hey, you need to look into this and understand no matter what you go through, God is faithful. Now, what a blessing. God is faithful. Very quickly, notice these thoughts with me. We can learn a lesson in God's faithfulness, but we can learn a lesson in contentment. We're not gonna spend a lot of time on these. I just wanna look at them. Verse six, Verse six, these things, they were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. This is written from Numbers chapter 11, verses four through six, that the mixed multitude that was among them fell a-lusting, and the children of Israel also wept again and said, who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, and the cucumbers, and the melons, and the leeks, and the onions, and the garlic, but now our soul is dried away, and there is nothing at all beside this manna. Be 
before our eyes. You know what would happen is God would continually provide for Israel and be faithful to them, but they would complain and they would live with discontentment. You go read the story of Israel. You know what took place every single time? Every single time God did something, they would go back to God and be like, that's not good enough. God, where's the good food? Now, what's funny about Numbers chapter 11 is you know what they're recalling? They're recalling when they were slaves. And they're like, man, we had it so good. We had it so good when we were, when we were beaten and we had it so good when we were whipped and we had, it, we had it so good because we had a wonderful diet. You know what they were doing? And listen, don't miss this. They were exaggerating their circumstances because of discontentment. Do you know what you and I do when we get discontent? We exaggerate our circumstances. God, you gave up on me. God, you quit on me. God, you don't care. God, look at how bad things are. You say, Pastor, I, don't, I do that. I'll, I'll be honest, I do that. I exaggerate my circumstances when I'm discontent. And so what's the lesson? Verse six, Paul says the lesson is this. They were written for our example that you wouldn't live in discontentment, that you wouldn't go lusting after evil things. Hey, no, 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 live with contentment. Live with contentment. Well, why can I live with contentment? Connect this all day, connect it. Why can I live with contentment? Because God is faithful. So your trial that you're going through, don't over-exaggerate it. But pastor, it's a, it's a death situation. I get it. And I'm speaking to Dennis Fountain as much as I am to anybody else in here because this week and last week, you know what I found myself saying? I found myself over-exaggerating my situation. And saying, God, did, 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 you, did you forget all the good things that my own father has done? God, did you forget his faithfulness? God, did you? No, God didn't forget any of that. And God is faithful. And my discontentment should be something that I subjugate, that I bring under control and say, God, I'm gonna trust, I'm, I'm gonna trust, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have contentment with this situation. Does that make sense? But if we're not careful, we become like Israel we allow a test to push us to discontentment. <clears throat> the psalmist wrote this to the people of Israel. They believed his words. They sang his praise. They soon forget his works. They waited not for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. And they gave them their request, but, sent, but he sent leanness unto their soul. You know, the truth is, the fact is that God is faithful, so be content with what he allows in your life. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variable, neither shadow of turning. Hey, if we're not careful, discontentment sets in. So what do we learn as a younger sibling from the people of Israel? We learn contentment. What else do we learn? We learn worship. We learn worship. Look with me at verse number seven. Verse seven, neither be ye idolaters as uh, were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drank and, and rose up to play. This is recapping Exodus chapter 32, where Moses is up on the mountain receiving the commandments from the Lord. And the people say, where is Moses? Aaron, make us a molten calf and we will worship the calf. And they make the calf and begin to bow down and worship. And Aaron says, behold, Israel, thy gods, which delivered thee out of Egypt and draws the people in this false worship and all of these uh, sorts of crazy acts. And it's recorded this in Exodus 32, verse seven and eight. And the Lord said unto Moses, go get thee down. He's speaking to, to, to Moses. 
For thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them and have made them a molten calf. And they have worshiped it and have sacrificed thereunto and said, these be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. You know what the people of Israel were prone to do? The people of Israel, they were prone to put anything before God. That's what the people of Israel were prone to do. They were prone to put anything before God. They were prone to, here's the word, idolatry. You know that you and I are prone to the same thing? Oh, ours isn't a molten calf. Ours can even be good things. But idolatry is when we put anything in front of God. Your spouse is a good thing. Those of you couples that are married, spouse is a good thing. But your spouse does not belong on the throne of your heart. Hey, your kids, your kids, your grandkids, good thing. But they don't, they don't belong on the throne of your heart. Your job doesn't belong on the throne of your heart. Your hobbies, that sport, that free time, that game teenager, that, that friend, that classmate, that class, whatever it may be. Hey, listen, entertainment, that stuff, it may be good and fine, but it doesn't belong on the throne of our heart. They were prone to idolatry. And before we condemn them, I would ask you this, the question, what have you put before the Lord? Hey, what, what idol have you been worshiping? Paul writes to them, I want to challenge you, right? Verse number seven, neither be ye idolaters as were they. Hey, they put things before God. Learn from their example and don't put things before God. What else can we learn? I think we learn a lesson in friendship. A lesson in friendship, look with me at verse number eight. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and 20,000. I believe here there is a lesson in purity, but I think really understanding the story in Numbers 25, there's a lesson in friendship. Here's why. Here's what the people of Israel did. That Israel, they abode in Shittim, and uh, the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods, and the people did eat and bowed down to their gods. And look at this. And Israel joined himself to Baal Peor. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. It's a lesson in friendship and purity. Why is it a lesson in friendship and purity? Do you know what the children of Israel had going against them in just about every story where they strayed from God? In just about every story where the children of Israel got away from God, it was because of the influence of the nations around them. In just about every one. Go to the book of Judges. You know what happened in the book of Judges? All of these Ammonites and all of these Midianites and all the Philistines they all started drawing the heart of the people away from God. Do you know what happens when you and I allow our heart to become friends with things and people that don't love and follow after God? Pretty soon that influence can pull me away. And they stepped into immoral decisions because of wrong friendships. We don't have time to look at this, but I would just encourage you today to protect your friendships. Hey, build people around you that love God. 
There's a lesson today. There's some lessons. There's a lesson in God's faithfulness. There's a lesson in contentment. There's a lesson in worship. There's a lesson in friendship. But notice also today there's a lesson in trust. There's a lesson in trust. Where do we see this? Look at verse 9 and 10. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. This is recapping Numbers chapter 25, verse 4 and 5, where it reads this, that they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people, they spake against God. They spake against Moses, saying, Wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water. And our soul loatheth this light bread. Numbers 14, number 16 says it this way that the children of Israel, they murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, would to God that we had just died in Israel, and would to God that we had died in the wilderness. What were they doing the entire time? They were tempting Christ or testing God. It was almost like the people of Israel, they were daring God. Hey, God, why did you bring us out here when you can't do anything for us? God, you brought me here, and then you abandoned me here? God, you brought us here and then you didn't provide for us here. The story of the people of Israel, again, that cyclical relationship, because of their situations, they were discontent. They were disillusioned and worshiped false gods. They were drawn into doubt because of their situations. Now, let's go back to the beginning and all those gray areas let's connect it and be done. Go to verse number 11. Paul says, now, all of these things, they happened unto them for in samples or as an example. And they are written for our admonition. The word admonition means to call to attention. The root word would be to counsel somebody to change their behavior in light of judgment. They are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, because of this, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. Here's what Paul is writing to them. Now, remember all the gray areas. Hey, instead of just forcing your way, love people, defer, desire to point to Christ. But I want to write to some of you who are reading this thinking you've got it. You're thinking, Paul, we can handle it. You have an arrogant attitude thinking, Paul, no matter what comes our way, Paul, you you don't need to write to us. We've got it under control. Here's what Paul says. To you, I write this. Don't think you stand. Because if you think you stand, you're gonna fall. Israel thought they stood. And you wanna know what happened for Israel? They kept falling. But in the midst of everything, You need to always remember that God was faithful through it. So what is the overarching principle for this week about the gray areas of life? No matter what's going on, no matter what decisions need to be made, no matter what choices are on the table, hey, God's faithful. Hey, God is there. 
I think this morning Paul is writing to them, if you keep going the way you're going, you're going to be ending up in a place that you don't want to end up. Hey, Israel thought they were something special. They thought they had a lot going for them. But look what happened. They were lifted up in pride. And as the proverb says, pride cometh before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. You know what Paul is simply saying? He's simply saying, when you think you can handle it, you're in trouble. Hey, when you think that you've got the gray areas covered, you're in trouble. Hey, when you think that you've got temptation and trials, you've got it under control. Hey, you are in trouble because you let your guard down. In Revelation chapter number three, Jesus said to the church at Sardis, essentially, he said this, watch, pay attention because you will be overtaken. And the people of Sardis, they knew what he was talking about. And here's why. At one point in Sardis, the city of Sardis, their history, Cyrus, was coming against Sardis to overtake the city. But, but uh, Sardis was kind of up on what's called an Acropolis. It's kind of a, a mountain that you cannot get up to, and they kind of had uh, put themselves up there. And so Cyrus offered a reward to any of his soldiers. Anybody finds a way up, I will reward you handsomely. I'll reward you heavily. There was one guard that he decided to stay up all night and to just keep his eye out. So he stayed up night after night after night after night watching the Acropolis where the people of Sardis were entrenched and were, were protected. And he, this man, he noticed one night that one of the guards at night dropped his helmet over the edge. And that man, this from Cyrus's encampment, Watch that guard and watch that lantern go around the backside to a special spot that they, the people of Sardis knew you can get in and out right here, but nobody else knew about it. And he watched that guard go all the way down, get his helmet, and go all the way back up. The next night, that guard took a band of men, not all the army, but a band of men, got up that one area into this entrenchment that Sardis had, opened the gates, and Cyrus took over Sardis. The same words were used when Jesus wrote to them, watch lest ye be overtaken. The same Greek words that would be used to warn them against somebody overtaking an Acropolis. You know why? They let their guard down. And here's where I wanna end today. If we're not careful, when trials come, we let our guard down, we become discontent, we doubt God, we allow things to come in between our relationship with God, and we find ourselves in a place where we're being overtaken by a sin or overtaken by that doubt or that discontentment. And here's what Paul says. You don't have to go down that road. Don't get arrogant and think that you can, you can stand. No, instead, stand in God's faithfulness, not your own strength. You know what you and I need in every situation? We need to be reminded, God, help me to stand in your faithfulness and not my own strength. But today, maybe you're here and you're with us and, or online and you don't know that Jesus Christ is in your life. You don't know that you've trusted him as your savior. Today should be the day that you put your faith and trust in him because God is faithful and he died upon the cross for you so that you can know that heaven is where you'd spend eternity. And God is faithful to love you 
And if you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior today, today could be the day where you trust him as your Savior. If you're here, you know Christ, you're online, you know Jesus, today would you ask God, God, bring my attention back to the fact that you are faithful. God, you're gonna allow more than I can bear, but you're faithful. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.